0: Welcome everyone to another podcast. This is Quentin here with Phil. Say what's up to the people, Phil. What up? And we are locked out at the moment, so we're just going to talk about some of the early spenders in baseball and perhaps the future of free agency after this lockout's over. So I'm curious where you stand on... First of all, you're overall surprised at how many people signed ahead of the lockout. Do you expect to see that many people sign, or...? was it two was it a ton more was it not a you know did you think more were going to sign what you think
1: i i was definitely surprised like as I, as as i said on the last podcast um Passon was like on a san diego um radio station or whatever and he was talking about how how some of the bigger names could sign but i don't think anyone including him expected like a bunch of guys to sign um, can go down the list like uh Corey Seager signing uh Marcus Simeon, <laughs> Max Scherzer all, all those guys a lot of the like I'd say half of the, the like top 20-ish free agents are somewhere around there already signed which is a bit surprising yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely surprised for sure what, what about you
0: I'm a bit surprised. I guess I'm. I guess in retrospect, it does make sense for like the pitchers to kind of go early, just to kind of lock in their money and their situation. But I was surprised, you know, a couple of the top shortstops signed before we, you know, at before the lockout, because I really did think that they were going to kind of hold the fort and just wait until, you know, once the lockout's over, and then it would essentially be a bidding war for those top guys. Um. Let's jump into some of the, Let's jump into the short stuff. Let's start with the team that I think had the best first half of the free agency period and that's <laughs> the Rangers. They added Marcus Simeon. they added John Gray, they added Corey Seager. What were your thoughts on what the Rangers
1: did? So, I mean, we came into the offseason knowing that the Rangers were going to spend like all the indications are they were going to spend and like you don't tell your fan base that you're going to spend basically how they like printed it out and how all these leaks were happening and Mm -hmm. then don't spend. So, so they, so I expected them to be big, but I didn't expect them to like, I expected them to land one of the significant shortstops. I definitely didn't expect them to land two of them. And so they got Corey Seager and on a huge deal. And you know what? Maybe they overpaid for him, but you gotta lock if you can lock in a potentially elite talent, you gotta do it. And and they they I, I feel like they felt a sense of urgency to get this done before like before the lockout. They didn't want it to linger. They wanted to make sure that the guys they wanted they could sign. You know, you you don't want to wait and then have it play out and not sure if the Yankees or Dodgers or so- someone will swoop in at the last second. So, mm-hmm. so I think it, it made sense. Like if you look at it from a pure uh, team perspective, do they overpay? Maybe a tiny bit, but to get top, two top players and in the good, like middle rotation, maybe a number four or, or low end number three ish type starter for what is a big help. Now I, I don't think they're, good enough right now to win but but maybe in a year or two they can add more moves or maybe even they'll spend more free agency or make a trade we'll see but it definitely puts them in the right path i think this is smarter than just like than just waiting out your young talent until they're good enough and they might never be good enough you know
0: yeah i kind of think we'll talk about the tigers in a second 'Cause our good friend Shay, I know he's not happy. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that in the conversation around that. But um yeah, I just think what the Rangers did is they decided we have this money to spend, we have these players we want to target, let's just lock them in now, and then we'll figure out what the market is when everything resets again. And I don't think they're done, you know. I, I certainly I certainly feel like they're a team that could be in on like Clayton Kershaw. If he doesn't go back to Los Angeles, I wouldn't be shocked if they're in on Seiya Suzuki. You know, so I, I think they are going to be, continue to be players in this market. So I think locking in one of the best shortstops, maybe not the best shortstop, and locking in Simeon, who I feel like he wanted to be a shortstop at the beginning of free agency, and then he was open to like playing second or third. So getting both those guys in the room and being able to, have those upgrades john gray i think john gray was maybe slightly overrated once he didn't get the qualifying offer this is a good contract for him though i still think they need another starter so i think it allows them to reset kind of see where they are financially see what moves they can make post lockout and potentially jump right back in
1: yeah i agree i think they need really i mean if they really want to make like a significant playoff push right now like, uh-huh. for this upcoming year, I think they need more than one starter. The rotation right now is just outside yeah. of Gray and Dunning. And both those guys are solid, like, middle, back-end type guys. But if they're the front end of a staff with, like, really guys that should be in AAA, mm-hmm. um, th- that's not that's not a good staff at all. It's like, I think Fangraph's depth charts has them right now as having the worst pitching staff in all baseball. I
0: believe. Yeah, I feel like they don't have. I feel like they've had a bunch of guys. Like Taylor Hearn was like getting starts for them, and like I remember him being like a relief prospect. So they certainly need to AJ Alexi, who I kind of like, but I just think yeah. more of a swing ish type guy. Um, yeah, they certainly yeah. they certainly need some like guys who can like pitch big games for them for sure. Um, I'm curious on what you think. How do you think about what the Mets did?
1: So. You, you, it's funny because I I was following you on Twitter just like just like to see your everyday reaction uh-huh. of when the Mets didn't do anything, and then like in a twenty four hour span they signed um, who was it at first? I think it was like Conha at first, yeah, and, at I mean Eduardo Escobar was the first deal, and you're like eh, whatever. And I'm I have the same reaction. And then they sign a conha. And then they got Marte, who's huge upgrade, even if maybe in yeah. a year or two he maybe doesn't fit great in center field just offensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, with who the Mets were trotting out there last year. I think uh, I think he's a huge upgrade, especially offensively. And and then of course they landed Scherzer um shocker cause like like, at first, at least for me, I thought, like, because, because, you know, the joke with Heyman and and it's true, like, John Boris basically text him what to write, yeah. what to tweet or whatever. And so, like, he he was the one, like, starting, though, the Mets are seriously into this, are in on this. And I thought at first that it was, like, kind of BS. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they landed him for 43 million a year, I think. Yeah. And I mean, it's an overpay, but it's only an overpay if you have a real budget. And Steve Cohen is, has a lot of money, of course. So, so yeah, I mean, they got a ton better in a really short amount of time because, like, people were freaking out about their off season um, for for a good bit, and then, of course, everything turned quickly. Oh, and then they're still. I mean, there's still some like Bryant rumors and stuff, but we'll we'll see about that. What were your thoughts um, immediately, like going from like Escobar, and then like when they signed Conha, and then of course like Scherzer later on.
0: So Escobar, I was, I'm still am a bit kind of confused at the Escobar move. He's good. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hold on. So as far as the Escobar move, I didn't necessarily like it because it felt like a classic Mets move where they jumped the market on a player. Like they do this all the time, so I wasn't a fan of that. But Conho was a good move because they they're pretty much set on getting the pick for Conforto, and then Marte was a great move. You know, I think the fourth year is going to be whatever, but you know, we will figure it out when you get there. And then they went after Max Scher. No, first they didn't do that. First. They went after Kevin Gossman, and then they did a We Tried. They told everyone in the media that they tried, and they didn't do it, and they failed to get Gossman, but then they went and got Max Scherzer. And it's like, on one hand, I can't really, you know, I feel bad because like I can't really be upset or anything like that. Max Scherzer's clearly good, but I don't know. I just I just think the process sometimes with how the Mets do things is weird. And now, I hate saying it this way, but I really do think the Mets should just kind of push for the next group of top guys, right? Because I feel like if you're going to go in to try to win the World Series, you know, Carlos Correa would be an excellent fit at third base. I know how much that will cost the Mets. I know the draft pick that they would have to give up for that. But if you're trying to win the World Series, you should try to win the World Series. You know what I mean? So I think without the expectation, Steve Cohen did a good job. I feel like I have to apologize to Steve Cohen because I was – I was very critical of him as a owner because I feel like they did a lot of screwy things so far. But when the time came, he spent the money, so you can't really be upset about that. Um, I just hope that they don't go for now the middle of the market. I still think they should top shop at the top of the market. If Carlos Rodon is dealing with like one-year deals, the Mets should be in on that. I would keep an eye on the Correa market. It seems like they want Chris Bryant a lot more. That's fine. You know, I would be more aggressive. And like if this costs you the fourteenth pick and moves you down or you give up the pick to put yourself in position to win the World Series, I, I think you should do that. You
1: know, I, yeah, think, I that, don't think that should be a deal breaker at all for any contender really, if you're trying to win.
0: And like I think Fangrafts has the Mets the last time I saw Fangrafts listed the Mets third overall, and that's just way too high for me. I don't I don't you know, this team is gonna have a bunch of very veteran level players and I don't know who the manager is and I need to see who that manager is and who can kind of navigate that team. But I think they did well, you know, I can't hate on them and I think the next step for them is to try to continue to add players. I think they're going to probably dip down into the lower part of the market, which they shouldn't do, but they added good players to the top.
1: Yeah. So I'm looking at it now um, by depth charts, the top three teams, Okay, so the Dodgers are still one. I guess Taylor, them bringing back Taylor, and then there's the Yankees, who are just like 0.1 more behind them. And then there's the mm-hmm. Mets, who are more behind the Yankees. So so they're like all grouped together. Um, they also, so, some of the like playing time projections is kind of like... It's it's, it Yeah, they, they work with... They just kind of like spit them out at first, but but like as the season as the off season goes on and as they get closer to the season they'll work on that and like it'll look it'll look like it'll make more sense like right yeah. now they have they have Robinson Canó projected for 385 plate appearances there is no chance he's going to play that much
0: yeah that's crazy so yeah i i want to you know i think the Mets are currently just trying to figure out what they can do and make maybe a trade or to I wouldn't be surprised if they traded Jeff McNeil still, Um, but maybe make a trade or two trying to get a couple of younger cheap pieces, some pieces that were options. I think they should certainly get one more starter and they'll
1: be right there. Um,
0: How do you, uh, I guess you still think the Padres are better, right? I still kind of feel like the Padres. No,
1: I don't. Not, not right now. I think, I think there, I think you're kind of overlooking how, you're just looking at through the Mets prism, but a lot of teams right now have holes and there's still like a lot of shuffling that'll go on. But right now the Mets are pretty, I mean, you can put a starter pretty much at every place, except for, I guess, if if you're like not all in on um Tyler McGill, but he's like a fine number five or Teon Walker who had a dreadful second half. Like these are like fine number five starters, you know? And so like you look at the Dodgers right now who, who have the top projection. Mm-hmm. Right now their starters are right now they have Bueller, Gyrios, Of course, that's very strong. But then you look beyond that. I mean, they just signed Haney, um, Tony Gonsolin. They have David Price. Like so, so all these teams have holes right now. And so I think I think the Mets are pr- I think the Mets honestly like I don't expect this to last, but for me right now, they are the best team in the NL. Mm. I
0: think they're more,
1: I, don't... I, I think they're more complete um, pitching wise than the Dodgers, like I expect that to change because the Dodgers yeah. are clearly gonna add pitching. But I think right now, if you like rolled out their rosters, I'd I'd pick the Mets as slightly better.
0: Okay. That's fair. We should, we shall see. I, there's still plenty of time, and there's still plenty of players to add. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see yeah. where we stand, especially when we do this at the end. Let's jump to the Detroit Tigers, because I feel like the Tigers are a team that, I don't know, I feel like they played this wrong. They added Eduardo Rodriguez, who I like, who I thought was a good a good value, even though you got to give up a pick. doesn't really matter. And – and they went and added Javi Baez, who I'm the low guy on Javi Baez, but I, I think the frustrating thing for them is like they really needed to get Carlos Correa. And like they, they went and added Javi Baez. How do you feel about their offseason so
1: far and kind of
0: where they are?
1: Okay. So f- for me, like I've gone back and forth on Baez, but I've kind of warmed up to him as like, just because even if you take away the mvp year he's been like a fourish win guy two of the last three years so mm-hmm. so that's that has a ton of value even with the low obp and there is some risk like the base running and the, just like the speed and just general aging could maybe hurt him more than some guys i think that's a legitimate risk but i think he's still very good now mm-hmm. if let's just hypothetically say that they aren't in on Korea, which is prob, which is most likely they like based on the reports, we haven't really seen anything s- them with them serious. And like everyone's assuming and probably rightfully so that they're not in on Korea anymore. I do not think that this was the right move still. Like mm-hmm. if you can get Carlos Correa and you chose Javi Baez like just to save a bit of money it, it's it's just it's just silly in their position just because like they they need that superstar they they have a good farm system coming up like spencer torkelson um riley green they have some studs coming up but you still need to add major league pieces and especially like position player wise they're especially They're especially weak, just like if you look at their majors, major league roster. And so you rarely see a player like Carlos Correa be like seriously available. And to just, it seems like kind of settle for hobby bios just because you think he's good and he is good. But to just, I don't know, it's just pass on a potential, on a a star. it, it, It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I that's why I was. It.
0: That's why I was at, and uh, our, our good friend Shay, uh, he was going back and forth with. I want to say his name is correctly, uh, Craig Calcaterra, and yeah. Craig C- Craig was arguing that.
1: Oh my god! I saw that tweet. I was like, he, Yeah, dude, like he was. He the was Rangers. arguing. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was like uh, kind of arguing about how the 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 tigers didn't like he said one in one tweet i thought it was weird it was like the tigers didn't need carlos correa or carlos correa didn't fit the timeline and i'm just like he's 27 years old and if you sign him to a 10-year deal like you're basically wetting yourself to correa for the long haul like your prospects you're like that's gonna be something that carlos correa factors into and like i just think that a lot like that's tweet i said it in the group chat like the Tigers weren't terrible last year. The Tigers were better than the Mets record wise. I know that doesn't mean much, but it, it would suggest that they were a team on the up and like this would have been the correct move for them. Like in a way, the Tigers should have had the offseason the Rock, uh, the Tigers had not the Tigers, the Tigers should have had the offseason, the Rangers had, where they just got aggressive, added talent, and then decided, hey, we're going to add again when everything turns back on. But we're trying to, like, really contend to be a good team. You know, Cleveland's always going to be around because their develop, develop, developmental staff is great. The White Sox have done a good job at not only uh, trading for talent but extending talent. And Minnesota, I kind of feel – we differ but they have a bunch of young talent coming up in the next few years so you never really know you know maybe the right guy pops for them the tigers could be a good team in in a tough division right and the royals are not that bad i like kind of like the royals too um but the you know the tigers could have added a six seven win player right off the bat and would have took a huge step forward and now it's just like you add javi Baez who my only issue with Javi Baez is before the Mets traded for him, like the bat was just looking ugly, you know, like in his last like year and a half in Chicago, like he was playing, like he was hitting a bunch of home runs. But man, like the bat just didn't look good. And, you know, my concern is that at 31, when the defense and base running slows down a bit, he's, you know, it's going to be a bit of a bad contract. I hope not. Again for our guy Shay uh for our guy Shea, but you know, that was my thing, is that I just kinda wish the Tigers got more aggressive and it it felt like this was a moment for them to do so and like everyone thought they would, only the Tigers didn't want to do that, and it's kinda disappointing.
1: Yeah, and one one more thing is like the funny thing is here that the kind of stuff you're saying about Javi Baez, we could also say about John Gray. Like he's a solid player, but you have Robbie Ray out there. You have Kevin Gossman out there. To so settle for John Gray is disappointing in the same sense. Mm-hmm. In a similar sense, obviously, the obviously top position players um, in their prime are obviously way more valuable than pitchers. But, but you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I – like, you know, it would be good to – it would be good for the Tigers to be like, hey, we have this group of position players – with include, you know, led by Carlos Correa to lead the next group of Tigers up as they come up, and they just don't have that. So, uh, hopefully, they can make a move. I mean, we'll talk about Correa in a little bit. Uh, I don't know what his market is anymore, but um, let's jump to a team that kind of made let's jump to two teams that made one big move. Um, I want to talk about the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays added Kevin Gossman, and they effectively let Robbie Ray go. Robbie Ray goes to Seattle. What did you think of those two
1: teams essentially jumping in
0: to the pitching market, to the top of the pitching market?
1: Well, I think for Toronto, I, I'm just guessing. Maybe maybe I'm off here, but they basically mm-hmm. probably gave Ray and Gossman similar deals, and they were basically like, we like both you guys. Whichever one jumps first at it, we'll, we'll take it. And so Gossman, mm-hmm. I guess, took took the kind of deal first. And so uh, they obviously needed a top of the rotation guy. Um, there's like their pitching staff has a lot of upside. I mean, but there are also serious questions. Like we know Bert Ryu, when healthy, he's really good, but he's he's aging. He's pretty old now and he's mm. always had injury problems. Um, Alec Manoa showed huge upside last year. I, I think he could take a pretty big step forward. And and they have some other guys that are okay, but but the, like they they needed that that top of the rotation guy to help. And I don't know if Gossman's an ace, but he's pretty close to it, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, think we can affect
0: I, I think we can say that when the combination of Gossman, Berrios, and Ryu went healthy, that's gonna win that's gonna be very hefty for them. It's gonna be able to win them a ton of games.
1: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so uh, I think. What do you think about what did...
0: What do you think? Okay. Of... Oh,
1: yeah, I think what the... I was just gonna say. I think what they did made sense in that sense. Just, just basically taking whichever guides uh, accepted their offer first, assuming that's what happened.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I can certainly see that because they. It kind of felt like they wanted to get. They wanted to maintain the success they had last year, and that involves keeping a. Another good pitcher, and I think between the extension they got for Barrios, they kind of felt like they can get a little bit more aggressive because Ryu's contract expires at the end of next season. So you know, getting Gossman in, and I think I think we shared it in the group chat where it's like his splitter became really effective uh, near the end of this year. He had like a down second half of the season, but like. There are things there that suggest that if he continues the way he's going, he's going to remain one of the top pitchers and maybe a really good number two for years to come.
1: Yeah. Um, Splitter is like one of the best pitches, like overall in baseball among starters. It's ridiculous. So It's crazy. And he throws a lot of strikes now. So that, that's always a good thing.
0: Robbie Ray to Seattle. I kind of like this move. I kinda I, I thought Robbie Ray pitched really well. Obviously he was a Cy Young last year. But I kinda thought Seattle did a lot of uh pitcher development over the last couple of years. They really found like good pitchers and tinkered with them and got them to another level and but they still like kind of I feel like they still kind of missed that really good elite level pitcher. And getting a guy like Robbie Ray in there, he's a bit of a concern because the control in the past wasn't great but if he is what he is you know that's really a good addition for the top of the rotation for a team that has been able to find guys like chris Flexen and get good seasons out of him uh what do you think about the robbie ray to seattle move
1: i think it makes sense like obviously um seattle seattle had a very fun season but Mm -hmm. they're also like Let's be real. They were also very lucky in, in a lot of close games. And so so they they need to add more talent, but I think Robbie Ray's a really big addition. I I'm not gonna say with confidence he's an ace, like I just don't know how you weigh this year compared to like all the past years, because this is the first year he's actually thrown the strikes at a good level. <laughs> like like even when he was effective before he broke down and whatever in Arizona, even when he was good, he he always had a walk, high walk rate. And so this year, just looking at his baseball, uh, I'm looking at his fan graphs page right now. So his walk rate by season, um, 2004 to 2016, slightly under 10, whatever, fine. 2017, 10.7. 18, 13.3. Uh, 19, 11.2. 2020 uh, 17.9 and then this year 6.7 it just came out of nowhere like maybe Mm. toronto did unlock something to make it like to make it um like sustainable like Mm -hmm. i'm sure he made adjustments um you know mechanically but it's also like risky just based on his past but it's still a big ad like i hope I hope Seattle is looking to add offensive talent because they really need it. But, mm-hmm. but if Robbie Ray is as good as he showed last year, I mean, it's a huge ad. It's a legitimate ace. So, yeah. We're going to talk what, what about you, one more t- oh, go ahead. What, what did you think of the addition?
0: I liked it. I think ultimately that they kind of needed, you know, uh, it's weird. Like pitching to me is such a weird thing. I'm actually fascinated by it uh, As you know, as I kind of, I t- like I said before, I wanted to write a little bit more about baseball and stuff like that. I'm actually more interested on the idea of adding and gathering pitching talent, right? Because I feel like Seattle has kind of maybe through various free agency moves and small trades and stuff like that. Like I felt like they were really gathering pitching, and you kind of see that in some of the moves, like a Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield. They went in the draft. They added. George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, with their first picks, but it always kind of culminated in the I hate to say Junker Ball guys, but the the non valuable pitching guys they found like a Chris Flexen I mentioned before. So to go into the top of the market and add someone like Robbie Ray, who might be the most volatile is not the word, but you know he might it might adjust to where he's not as good as the contract, which happens. Um, I thought that was fascinating for them, and we'll talk about the Mariners more, like you said, in the segment of, you know, teams that need to continue to add. But yeah, I thought it was a good move. Uh, staying on pitchers for just a second, what did you think about the pitchers market as a whole? And I asked this because of Marcus Stroman signing for three years, about like seventy one million with the Chicago Cubs. Because one thing that came that struck to me was that. Marcus Stroman had no qualifying offer attached to him. So a lot of people assumed that he was going to get a really big contract and like AV wise, I think he matched what people thought, but he got like a three-year deal, which says to me that he was probably like the fourth pitcher, fifth pitcher for a lot of these teams who were looking at the top of the market. What did you think overall about, you know, how these top pitchers did so far?
1: Yeah, I think Marcus Stroman... Um, from a player perspective definitely lost I mean I was thinking about him as like maybe a five year I mean at first I was thinking five years 90 million before like the season ended and all this stuff but then mm-hmm. as the rumors started I-, I was feeling more like five years around 120 125 million is very possible for him mm-hmm. and so he, he got the A and V like three but he got only three years and then if you think about it this way, like we don't even know what's going on with Justin Verlander, but because because he never officially signed, so like people mm-hmm. are assuming he might have like a medical issue, but we haven't seen anything confirmed. But if you think about it this way, Justin Verlander is coming off um, Tommy John. He's what like thirty eight years old or something around that age. Yeah, he got essentially a two year fifty million dollar deal. Marcus Stroman coming off a, a terrific season, has shown a lot of durability over his career. Um, he's, he's I don't know, maybe around 30-ish or somewhere around there. I think he's 29. Got, yeah, got, two, got one extra year at a, a lower AAV than Verlander got. That, that just doesn't make sense to me
0: yeah and I know a lot of the guys in our in our I keep we keep mentioning the group chat uh was like you know
1: he wanted the lower deal
0: he wanted the smaller deal, but it's just like, eh, I don't know you know they were like, well, he wants to go back and hit the market, but I'm like, if you can cash out now instead of going back into the market at thirty two like
1: you know and it's not like he's and going it, to it good and like opt outs are becoming more and more um popular and so like maybe he wasn't going to get the five years 125 million but but I do wonder like if he could have got if he maybe was more aggressive and like looked to get a deal earlier than these guys like Ray and Gosman. if he could have got like maybe five years 100 110 million with like an earlier opt-out that that kind of a deal would make sense for him but for him to just settle for three years is really surprising
0: yeah I didn't I didn't totally get that. I, I, well, let me not say I didn't get it. Um, I just thought it was weird that he didn't get the deal that I thought he was going to get essentially. He got the money and he certainly is on a team that I feel like they may spend a little bit more than we think, but they're certainly not going to be like, you know, one of these teams like Seattle or Toronto, or one of these teams that's going to spend more once free agency is over. Um, one last I'm not team. so
1: sure about that, honestly. You, like you think
0: okay, we'll talk about it, the Cubs in a bit. Yeah. One last team that kinda got aggressive. That I don't know. I don't know how to feel about them. Uh the Miami Marlins added Jacob Stallings. They added is it Joey is it Joey Wendell? Yeah. They added Joey yeah, Wendell. Yeah. I feel like they made one more move, but they essentially Yeah, they kinda,
1: signed Avassel Garcia.
0: Yes, they signed it Avisel Garcia to like a four year fifty plus million dollar deal. Uh what did you think about what the Miami Marlins did? It was it's kind of rare to see the Marlins get aggressive. So what'd you think?
1: I mean it's cool for them to like get more aggressive, um and improve. But um I don't know, it just feels kind of like they definitely did help themselves. Like there's no doubt about it. Um, they had basically no catcher. Joey Wendell's a solid player, though I don't know if he's really as good of a bat as some of his stats suggest this year. Um, mm-hmm. And Abacel Garcia is kind of like—he's a solid player, but he's—he's he's got the kind of profile that's very volatile, in that he's very reliant on power and he's not got the best approach. And so, I mean, they definitely helped themselves, but it also feels like they probably should have done more like i mean it's not even like the quantity like three guys perfectly fine and then also what we'll talk about their bigger move later in alcantara but um so but it just feels like a team like the marlins what they really need like they have a lot of minor league depth they have a lot of guys that are coming close but what they really need is star and These guys are good complimentary guys, but that's really all they are.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly – it feels like they're going to do something after the post-lockout with center field because they were in on Starling Marte. I feel like they probably finished like second or third to Starling Marte. Um,
1: There were a lot of Buxton rumors also on their end. Yeah. Oh yeah, Buxton. We got to talk about Buxton too. Yeah.
0: You know, Buxton resigned, but I think they're going to do something. I and I don't know who that center fielder is going to be. I don't think it's going to be Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh, but if you told me that they went out and got a good center field fielder, I wouldn't be shocked.
1: Yeah, and like there are rumors that like they're kind of like shopping some of their good pitching depth, like maybe Pablo Lopez or somewhere who's got a lot of value, even though he's had some injury issues this past year. But, I mean, if they're going to trade him, I figure they're going to get a very good return.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, they I threw them in there at the end because I know they did a couple of moves, and, uh, you know, we'll see where they fit. They make the NL East a little bit more interesting, at least. Um, let's j- Let's switch topics. Let's jump to teams that could be a little bit more aggressive post-lockout. So let's just throw out a couple of teams. Who do you, who you think is going to be aggressive once the lockout is over?
1: I think the obvious one like is the Dodgers just because okay. they have lost Max Scherzer, they lost um they lost Corey Seager. I mean, they did bring back Chris Taylor, but especially rotation-wise they they need more guys. Mhm. Like, they have they have a bunch of back-end guys that you feel fine with during the regular season, but, you know, for the Dodgers, it's basically World Series or bust, And so yeah. they need another top of the rotation or at least middle of the rotation type guy. And, like, even if they bring back Kershaw, hypothetically speaking, I think they would add another guy along with that. I don't think they're just going to add one more starter. So, like, I think most likely for them is actually they're – probably going to add like one of those guys one of the two starters via trade
0: that's what i was going to ask uh luis castillo from cincinnati or do you think I, they go a little bit lower trade value wise
1: i think like with castillo and Montas, i think it's unlikely either move um, mm-hmm. just because of their contract status um with castillo actually i think he only has two years left but it sounds like the Reds have a like, crazy high asking price. Mm-hmm. um, And so, I don't know. I, I don't think like in the Dodgers, they still have a very good farm system, but they don't really have those like studly prospects to really trade. But maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe they shop Lux and someone really likes him still. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he still has a lot of potential, you know? Um, I think think most likely they're gonna go in that next tier of guys. Like the three guys that really stand out, um, as obvious trade targets that I do expect to be traded are Sonny Gray, Chris Bassett, and uh, Sean Manaya. I think all those three guys are gonna get traded. They're solid, um, mid rotation guys. I mean, if you buy into like um, Manaya's last year, he you could argue he's like a good number two ish type starter. Mm-hmm. But I think I think those those three guys are going to be like guys that the Dodgers are probably going to mainly target.
0: I like it. I'm going to since you went with a big team, I'm going to go with a smaller market team. I'm going to go with the Brewers. Uh, I think the Brewers may sit out the first couple days of the lo- post lockout free agency. They might not even spend a ton, but I, I expect them to be a little bit more aggressive in trying to fix the offense. They did make that Hunter Renfro trade uh, right before the deadline, right before the lockout started to add, you know, I guess to be Avisel Garcia replacement, but this is a team that has their top starters um, in place. So I'm curious to see how aggressive they get kind of financially adding offensive talent. This is a team that could potentially take advantage of, cincinnati or oakland trading some guys maybe you can get a player or two off of them but um i'm curious to see what the brewers do because this is a team that i think me and you last year really thought they had a chance to make the world series and they got knocked out by the world champion braves but the offense was just very stagnant and yeah they could really use another batter too especially if the dh comes into play I would, I would like to see them get a little bit aggressive and maybe they pick off some good players. Like Tommy Pham would make some interesting, you know, would make some sense for them guys like that. So I'm curious to see yeah. what the brewers do to try to fix their offense.
1: Okay. So I also have a team that's okay. So I actually think the Cubs are going to spend more just, I was looking at their payroll and mm-hmm. I know Rickets is like super cheap. I, I, all this stuff and like I totally buy. It. I still think he's cheap and whatnot. But their payroll is like around 110 million. And like in the past they've paid a lot more. So I think they're actually gonna make a serious play for Korea. I really do. Just because of how the market's playing out and they have the money for him. Like I don't think they think they're contenders, because they aren't. But mm-hmm. but kind of like when the Padres kind of like swooped around on Manny Machado, I think it's like kind of a similar situation, to where like things are like kind of lining up for them, and to where there aren't a lot of suitors for Correa left. There are some, but I think I think they're gonna make a series play for him. Honestly, that's funny because I think my
0: team is the team that's gonna. Make a serious play for Carlos Correa. That's the Seattle Mariners. I continue to think that that whole JP Crawford stuff is a smokescreen. <laughs> and I hope so. I just, yeah, because it just doesn't make sense. You, the Mariners, like you said, they were a team that were that had a good record, but they were kind of uh, flaky. It was a kind of bit of a fluke. They they, they had some good luck. They kind of need to get a player, and I'm, I felt this way about. Carlos Correa and we kind of talked about it before I just never thought he was going to get 300 million now the fact that Corey Seager got 325 may kind of push him to set his price but if I'm the Seattle Mariners and I'm a team that has all this young talent around if I can the move I would do if I was Seattle was I would kind of call Oakland and see if I can get Matt Chapman and then just sign Carlos Correa because then you're adding two bats You're improving the defense, and that gives you one of the best teams in that division, if not the best team, depending on what Houston does with their offense. But I don't think DePoto gets that aggressive. So if I was the Mariners, I would just push in, give Carlos Correa the 10, 280, opt out after whatever, and just go from
1: there. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, I think the one thing we have to keep in mind with these GMs is it's not all their, like, options. Like, ownership obviously has to make the call at the end of the day, we're willing to give this guy this. And so I'm not sure Seattle's, like, willing to go all that way. I think they're seriously... G- Personally, I think they're seriously going to make a play for um Story. And they might might see him more as... A third baseman, though I think he's a good defensive mm-hmm. shortstop. But his market's like a little bit weird as long along with Correa's, but we know Correa's gonna get his money. We we don't know. I think with story it's really hard to predict how much what his next deal is gonna be, like money and years wise, you know.
0: Yeah, it's 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 because of the Colorado thing, right? It's cause they don't people don't quite
1: know if he'll hit, I guess. I don't know he also did take like a pretty big step back this past year like i think he had like a weighted runs created plus under 100 and obviously this wasn't the right year for uh one of the premier short subs to have like a down year so yeah. i think think those things like um kind of work together um just to bring something up that we haven't discussed yet um I don't remember if this happened before last podcast or not, but Buster Posey retired and I did yes. not expect that.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. No, it happened after, but yeah, man, uh, I think Buster Posey, I remember like during last season, during like the 50 game season that they had.
1: Yeah. he He didn't he, play. Yeah. He just
0: kind of went away for a bit and, when he came back, he was talking about how he liked that. And, you know, he kind of thought that that was something that was close to, to permanent for him. He didn't even know if he was coming back the following season. So, it's good on him. He's clearly a Hall of Famer. Clearly, one of the better catchers of mm-hmm. the last twenty years. So, do you think that for leads sure. the Giants into spending?
1: <laughs> I mean, it could, like we can discuss the giants now like the giants had, had a ton of free agents like along with the Posey team option thing everyone mm-hmm. assumed they would just exercise the team option and of course he retired um they i was kind of surprised brandon bell actually took the qualifying offer I was, and so because he had a really good year he just had some like injury issues maybe that like kind of pushed him to take it mm-hmm. and his market wasn't that great um so they did that and then they they brought back Disco Fani and Alex Wood and then signed um Cobb but it just feels like I don't know I I didn't believe in them last year so like I kind of I I kind of feel like hedging but I just don't think they're all that talented still you know
0: Yeah I certainly think they yeah. kind of I certainly think they got Lucky on the pitching side, and they certainly needed to do something on the hitting side to kind of mass that. They do kind of feel like a step back team, even though like Wood and Wood is a guy that's either going to be two win pitcher, two, three win pitcher, or he's going to be hurt. Uh, the Scalafini played well, Alex Cobb played well in Anaheim. Um, so you
1: know, yeah, I mean, I think, I they- think they'll still, I don't think they're like a 70 win team, but i wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised like if they missed the playoffs next year, basically, that's what I'm saying,
0: yeah, like if they won eighty five games, yeah, yeah, pretty much um any other team you see out there that could get a little bit aggressive in the
1: market uh, I mean every team could get aggressive, but like I don't know, I think the Padres are gonna do something rather big, I think it's more likely. It'll come. I think they're gonna add one corner bat, like significant one, and they're probably gonna make like a trade for another starter, but we'll we'll see who that is. I feel like what do you want to amb- I mean, like it's simple, but just sign the best players. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I mean, who is still a free agent? Uh, Chris Bryant. I'd be happy with that. I mean. I'd be happy with say Suzuki. I'm a big fan, even though he has like some obvious risk. Um, obviously, like I mean, we we didn't discuss it. We should discuss, I guess. Like Freddie Freeman is still unsigned, so like obviously, what do you?
0: What do you think he should, does?
1: Well, do you think he goes,
0: I mean, I feel like I feel like this is. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it's. Been, I don't know if it's reported or not, but, like, I thought the issue was, like, he wants a six-year, and they don't want to give him a six-year. I, I feel, feel like, like John Heyman said that.
1: Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I know Heyman has, like, or some of the, or maybe it was a different MLB reporter basically said he's asking for a six-year, no, it was Heyman, 6 years, $180 million. and, like, yeah. I don't know, like, the Braves have a very weird... Ownership structure that I quite frankly do not understand how it works, but they are like people saying that they couldn't give it to him right now, but they can after lockout. I I don't really get it honestly, but I I still do think as you saw with my bet, um, I still do think he goes back to Atlanta. So at the end of the day, but I mean, it definitely looks like it's not one hundred percent Atlanta, like like I thought. Or it was, yeah. it's not 99% Atlanta. Like like the Dodgers and the Yankees are probably the two main teams um, that have been rumored with him. And both obviously have money to be aggressive. Though some people. Well, I want to ask. You so the Yankees, the Yankees are kind of asking. <laughs> <do laughs> yeah, you, might as well. What do, you,
0: what do you think? The I don't know what the Yankees. I feel like the Yankees. I don't know what the Yankees are doing. <laughs> I feel like I kind of feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't, cause they have the judge situation. Like, are you going to pay him and are you not going to pay him? Is he, you know, is he a mercenary and you just going to let him go? It's, you know, when it's over, Uh, they could go and add Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman certainly, you know, puts, he gives you a bat in the middle of your lineup and he plays first base and you could play him at DH to take you know cut, take some of the wear and tear off and go from there, um, you know they could use Carlos Correa, but it's like it seems like they don't want to spend at the shortstop or the shortstop market. You know I don't it's know exactly. Weird. They could use like, another starting pitcher. I thought it was weird that the Yankees were not even listed. I felt like the Yankees were not listed once with any of those top pitchers on the market. And like I know you have Garrett Cole, and I know you have like Severino when he's healthy, but like. You could still use a top arm. Like the best Yankee teams I remember had like really good arms. Con- you know from one through four? So I I don't know what the Yankees are
1: doing. Their biggest signing right now, um, is Jolie Rodriguez for two million. Who no, well, just... they
0: like non tendered <laughs> beforehand? <laughs> yeah, it
1: was very weird.
0: Yeah, like I don't. I don't get what the Yankees are doing. Like the market is still available for them to be good. They can still come out of this and be fine, but it is kind of weird that they're just like allowing everything to go on without, without even being mentioned. I think it's weird. Yeah. Uh for sure. You know, I, I mean, as far as Freddie Freeman goes, I certainly think the Dodgers could do it. It doesn't, I mean, I don't. It doesn't feel like a dodgery move, but he's a good player, and the Dodgers get good players, so I guess that qualifies. Um, any other teams? I feel like everyone. I like, Well, let's talk about the players. So, you think Carlos Correa is you? If you had to bet right now, where Carlos Correa goes, where would you
1: say he goes? I mean, I do think he goes to the Cubs.
0: Okay, I I don't know where he goes. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Lie. I mean,
1: I, I mean that that was. I mean, that's, like, my main answer, too. I just think, in certain respects, like, the, like I feel like Carlos Correa is kind of, like, sitting in their laps, and, like, eventually they're going to be, eventually they're going to, I mean, they've already been listed with him. Um, yeah. Astros beat reporter, who's very connected, Um, listed six teams with him. I forget exactly all the teams, like. It was the main teams like Dodgers, um, Yankees, Tigers, some of those teams, and he also listed the Cubs.
0: Yeah, I feel like at some point, like the market is going to flip where it's like Carlos Correa is going to take a little bit less, and he's going to go find the right deal for him, or he may do what you know he may take the problem, he may take like a six year deal and get an opt out and hit the market again. You know, I think he's I think he can get a big contract whether it's a 10-year deal or it's a six-year commitment cubs wouldn't cubs you know like you said cubs would make sense they made a couple of trades to get some upside some high upside talent over the last two over the last year 18 months so maybe they think that they can be closer to contending than many people think in the next couple of years
1: um, yeah and the thing is with correa he's like super young so even if your your goal is to contend in and let's say, not this year or next year, but the year after, which is more realistic for the Cubs, um, he, he makes he's still going to be young, he's still going to be in his prime, and he's still going to be super valuable. So, I mean, Carlos Correa is 27 years old right now. It's insane. Uh, yeah. Carlos, I'm just
0: going to throw out some of the top guys. We talked a little bit about story. We talked about Freeman. Carlos Rodon, What do you think he goes?
1: Man, I'm a bit worried just because we haven't really seen any rumors with him, you know? Yeah. I mean, I honestly can't remember one rumor whatsoever with him. And I, I really hope he's healthy because I'm like, like all like, I don't know if I'm saying the right word, but omniscient signs kind of like mm-hmm. suggest his, kind of suggests the teams are really worried about his physical, you know? And like his, his just like state and if he's going to collapse or whatever, like his elbow going, going to last much longer. And so like, and so that's like kind of the weird thing with him. If if he's super, I mean, if he's healthy, he's arguably, I mean, he's definitely the best starter available and he's one of the best free agents still available, you know?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so so that's super valuable and maybe some teams view him as more of a risk, you know? Yeah. But but the upside is still very large. Like even if you get let's say 90 innings of Carlos Rodonna last year's level, that, that's still very valuable. And it still helps you win games. So, yeah. but I mean the teams I feel like the Dodgers make sense just because I feel like with them they're always they're always pretty deep in starting rotation and they always have arms coming up in the minors. So, and like, they could,
0: yeah. It, and they can kind of massage his innings. Like yeah. they can get, they could skip, you know, they could skip a start or two for him. They could, they have the track to, to be an effective team for him through.
1: Yeah. And they, they aren't going to like, they aren't going to push him too hard. And if he does have an injury, they have some backup plans that'll maybe the, I mean, Maybe they won't blow it on fire, but but they'll hold their own, you know? Yeah. And so I I feel like that's, for me, like, kind of the most obvious fit for Rodon. Any team that needs a starter, like, I mean, the Cardinals added Steven Matz, but their rotation still is very bad. Like, that, that would be another team that I feel like makes sense.
0: I think this guy goes to the Padres,
1: Michael Conforto. It's possible. I mean... I feel like the Padres are in on pretty much every corner outfield bat right now. So that that's good. Like, I feel like they're probably in on Schwarber, Cassianos, um, Conforto, Bryant. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I think they'll land one of them, but I I wouldn't, I don't feel comfortable like predicting, I guess, which one they'll, they'll
0: add. If you had to have one, you can only get one. You AJ Preller calls you and says they all agreed you get to pick who we get. Who would you take?
1: Man. um, if we totally ignore budget, I think I'd take Conforto. I think he has the highest upside. Like mm-hmm. if we, um, like like if say Preller or whatever says we have thirty million to spend and and you have to budget that correctly, then I'd take Suzuki, who I who's going to cost way less. And who what do you I think is likes? Well, sorry, I,
0: I didn't mean to I, talk over
1: you. It. Nah, it's it's cool. I mean, I think um I think before the offseason started, I felt pretty confident in him going to the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um I mean they could still of course they still need outfield bats, but I don't feel as confident in it just because they've spent so much already. Um I don't know. I feel like a lot of teams need at least one outfielder. And so it's kind of hard to predict how this corner outfield market's gonna like play out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like I saw a thing that said like
0: the Yankees, the Red Sox, and like the Rangers were the most in on Suzuki, and I was like,
1: that doesn't <laughs> Yeah, the Yankees, that, that yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense unless they buy him as like I guess the center fielder defensively, but that doesn't seem very plausible. Yeah, so...
0: I'm just looking at your list of free agents, which is really good. I'm going to link it. Are there any free agents you're looking at here that's potentially a little undervalued that you like? That remains
1: on the board? Uh, I mean... You've heard... I feel like uh, I don't know how to say his name correctly, but Quang Hun Kim is like a solid bat back, backhand, um in back end arm that could really help someone. Um I don't know. I ranked him forty six, but I think actually after thinking about it, he should be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um he's he's pretty solid when he's been healthy. Um he throws a bunch of strikes he and he does a good job. Of getting soft contact, even though he doesn't miss a lot of bats. Um, who else? I guess Tommy Pham's. I mean, Tommy Pham's in a very, like, I feel like his free agency's a bit weird just because he's he's probably a free agent at the wrong time, just because of how many good corner outfield bats there are, and mm-hmm. he's coming off a down year. Um, I do feel like he's likely to rebound. Um, the thing with fam is of course, he had, um, a super dangerous. I mean, he, he got stabbed like in the ribs. I think it was the ribs, but, and it, it definitely affected him. I feel like, and so, I don't know. I feel like he maybe would take a pillow contract and he might actually not have a choice but I feel like he could be a bargain for someone. I know the Padres are still looking to bring him back, which I'm a bit surprised by, but, but um, he'd be, I'd be totally fine with adding him in a different corner. I'll feel bad too.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, just looking at your list, I see a lot of relief pitching. I see a lot of starters, which makes a ton of sense. And I kind of liked Tommy fam as like a cheap, maybe like a one year, 8 million, one year, 9 million option for the Mets. And, they're going to go in a different direction. But yeah, I think he's certainly someone who, you know, if someone signed him, I, I certainly think he can be a positive player and maybe turn that into a two year deal the following offseason. Um, yeah, and,
1: and a bigger money. Uh, one team we haven't discussed, I mean, it's kind of like on the negative end. I mean, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Oh,
0: yeah. They added Noah Syndergaard and gave up Which I think.
1: Very smart move. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I I'm
0: was, talking over you. No, 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 you're perfectly fine. And I agree. I thought that was a good move for them. You know, I think it was interesting that they were able to get Syndergaard to buy in for a one-year deal to rehab in Anaheim. To me, I thought that would mean that they were going to probably get a little bit more aggressive and get, like, a six-man rotation or at least get six or seven starters and try to, you know, rotate him out. But all they added was Michael Lorenzen and like that was it
1: yeah i think no Syndergaard is a good risk for the angels i think when he signed i also said like if this is their biggest addition that's like a problem but he still helps them you know and so Mm -hmm. i mean it's a good signing like if you just grade it in a vacuum but yeah you they need more they need more starting pitching it's clear they need a a reliable top of the rotation arm and it feels like I honestly don't remember a lot of the rumors but like they weren't I mean the Scherzer thing was it felt like they were like pretending to be in on him when they clearly weren't like people were like mentioning them in like pass you know like Mm -hmm. as a fourth team or whatever but they they weren't really in on him Um, and I never heard anything with them on like Strowman or Gossman or, you know, Robbie Ray. It felt like they were, they just felt like Noah's like fine. And like our rotation's pretty set to go. We got Michael Lorenzen, who's going to be our back end arm and we're good to go. And that's just, I don't know. I feel like, they're living in an alternate universe, basically.
0: Yeah, the one thing the one thing that got to me—the <laughs> one thing that got to <laughs> me was more about how the second they made that signing for Syndergaard, there was a lot of talk like, "Yeah, the the Angels really want to be aggressive." They were told that they have this two year window to make the playoffs now, and it's just like, okay. And they added Aaron Loop, who's good, but. <laughs> You know, they mm-hmm. brought back Iglesias. That's fine. So you fix the pen. But this is a team that perpetually needs starting pitching. So I think they get aggressive. I can see them being a little bit more aggressive for some of the arms, uh, the back end arms. Like if you told me they added like Michael Pineda, I wouldn't be shocked. If they added somebody like that. Um, maybe they made a trade, make a trade. Like I, I continue to think that they're going to be. Uh, talking to the Marlins about maybe one of their center fielders. Like it just makes sense for both sides. Um, But like, this is a team that could have used a shortstop. This is a team that could use a second baseman. This, like they, they have a bunch of needs for a team that really does play like stars and scrubs. They kind of need someone, a couple players in the middle there who can help them get over the hump. And it's just not their like- farm system.
1: It feels wild that, like, you can make a very real case that they have the two best players in baseball. And I think it's pretty clear that, as of now, it would be extremely, well, maybe not extremely, but it would be unlikely that they'd make the playoffs. And, like, as currently constructed, they are not good. Just, Just flat out, it's a bad roster. And it feels... I don't know how much to blame like front office or if this is just like solely just Moreno just doing his thing. And I think it's a bit of both. Like we know Moreno become cheap. It feels like ever since the Josh Hamilton deal, he felt like mm-hmm. kind of bit or, you know, and so he's been like super conservative since then. And um, so, so yeah, I think that's part of it, but I also think like, the Angels haven't really made like these, these um like depth moves that some of these better teams, like some of the teams like the Dodgers or Giants, have made, and it and it's bit them just because they they've their depth has been awful.
0: Yeah, they're often down to like their ninth starter and like fifteenth person out the bullpen by like August every year. And it's just, it's just been it's just been tough to watch, especially when, like you said, they have two of the best players in baseball at the very least. And I don't, you know, they the, again, you know, there's so many good players on the market still that there's a chance to fix it. But I just think waiting until the lockout's over to see who's there. Don't think that was the best idea for them. Were there any other teams that you kind of thought were losers? at least to start or like puzzling moves to start?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, hmm. I'd say the Padres haven't. I mean, like with the Padres, I feel like they should have been more aggressive with um, starting pitching to a certain degree just mm-hmm. because I continue to be convinced like that um, Chris Paddock isn't going to throw a pitch for them this year. And so they need mm-hmm. two starters. And I think they're going to add probably two stars but I just feel like they could have used even even a guy like Steven Matz or John Gray or, or like Alex Cobb was like Alex Cobb went, I, he went for what like two years and 20 million or even maybe less than that it's pretty ridiculous to me I don't yeah. know how the Giants got him for so cheap and so like I felt like they should have made one of those moves at least Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like with the corner outfield bats, like they're still all available. So like, except for Marte, but I, I feel confident they're going to land one of those guys. So I'm not panicking there, but on the pitching side, they need to add more. Um, who else? I guess like, um, the Phillies also haven't really done anything.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. We could, we could slander the Phillies a little bit. Nah, nah, I don't know, the Phillies just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, the Phillies are kind of in that position. I, I, I kept saying it before the uh, before the season started where the Phillies and the Mets are kind of in the same position where they have good players on their roster. Obviously, they have Harper, who's the MVP, and they have Zach Wheeler and other guys like that, but they kind of needed to add to that. And, like... I don't know. The Phillies kind of sat, and we just talked about all the shortstops, and I don't think either of us really thought they were gonna they're gonna get one of them. It wouldn't shock us if they were in on Trevor Story, but I think the fact that they've been qu- largely quiet this all season, they've been making more like internal moves, right? Like they've been doing a lot of uh, dev- getting some player development people in. I know they got somebody from the Padres who was like a development guy. I know they've been pushing for that, but. I think once Buxton resigned, that kind of took some wind out of their sails. So they got to recover as well.
1: I feel like, though, you can't – I don't know if it was this way, but, like, if you're a team like the Phillies, you can't just assume that, that you're just going to be able to get Buxton, you know? Yeah. I mean, they didn't even have that, like, trump or whatever they they don't have like that elite prospect they have some good prospects to be clear um they do but it didn't i know everyone assumed buxton was gonna go there but i just didn't understand like did the phillies like think they had a deal basically agreed upon before before midseason? they just didn't expect i guess him to be extended and no one did but I, i just feel like you can't bank on someone on another team being traded to you, you know?
0: Yeah. I cert- it certainly felt like <laughs> I think I think once Rosenthal in the at the trade deadline was like, Yeah, the Phillies are really interested in him. Uh they're not close on an extension, it kinda became Byron Buxton's a Philly. Like <laughs> like we all kind of thought it Philly and like they well, quietly um... got an extension locked in. Which, what did you think about it that extension? Well, Bradley. I think. Oh, yeah. Shout out to think... Mike Bradley.
1: It's <laughs> <is> a Philly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like it made sense for both sides. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like maybe, maybe they did get a little bit of a discount, but with Buxton, he's had so many injury problems that I can't blame him for wanting to get that guaranteed money, you know? So yeah. if he misses out on like pretty significant deal, it's possible. I mean, they still bank that what one hundred million or I think it was around there deal. So yeah. I mean, I totally get it from both perspectives, and I think it was a worthwhile. It's definitely a worthwhile contract for the Twins too.
0: Yeah, I think the I think in a perfect world, Buxton gets healthy and the twins get the twins get better and he has a couple of really good seasons and we go from there you know i think 100 i think in the grand scheme of finances you know obviously you know if he's really good if he is what he is for 162 games and it's money left on the table but he hasn't been there for 162 games he's been hurt a lot so i think both sides kind of gave up a little to give a little for each side we didn't talk about one more thing i think you know where i'm going with this Take a guess. That's right. We didn't talk about Wando Franco's extension.
1: Oh
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, Wando Franco signed. uh, He signed this monster contract extension. Uh, Two things before I ask you what you think of the contract. How did you? Where did you land on the conversation about those contracts being like predatory? Because I really, it really did like resonate to me. Like I do kind of understand where people coming from with that. Where it's like. A lot of teams have, you know, essentially preyed on older players or really young players from Latin American countries to sign these extensions. And some people are even saying that that's uh. something that shouldn't happen in baseball. It's tough. Like, I think Ken Rosenthal piece said it best. It's tough to say that he was, you know, this is a short sighted deal for him when he's getting all that money. But what do you think about that
1: thinking? Because I thought it was interesting the way it came out. I think um oh geez. Um I think so so like from that perspective, I think it's a real thing. But I don't think it was necessarily in play here. Um just because yeah. like it like like l- let's be real. Like the Aussie Albies extension is maybe the worst agent move of all time. I, I don't know how in the world his agent suggested for him to actually sign it. Like, like that's what I'm assuming happened because I, I don't understand. Yeah. Like obviously Albies makes and the family and whatever they're going to make the last call, but like the agent has to give you is always going to give you input. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I, I don't understand how that deal was allowed. I guess like he got yeah. what like, it, it was. It's one of the most ridiculous deals, along with the Jose Ramer, Jose Ramirez deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Acuna is obviously a ridiculous deal too. But I mean, at least he got what 100 million or or whatever he got. Um, Alby's got what was it 30 something million? Just an absolutely r- insanely bad deal for the player. Yeah. And so I, I just don't. It's just hard to wrap your head around how he, how someone would agree to that kind of deal with a guy like Albies, who, who hasn't had injury, who hasn't ever had injury problems. And it's kind of like, he's kind of like a high floor player just because he's so good defensively. Yeah. He, he's always had this caught, co- this high contact rate. Right? So, yeah. I just don't get why he signed that. As for Wander, like, he got what, over. First, I'm going to give you credit because when the first when the rumors came out that like the Rays were talking to Wander, I just brushed them off. I thought it was like BS, and I remember you were like more optimistic that like they could reach a deal. And yeah. So, and so I'm like so I'm looking at the numbers. He got 182 million. Like, if he's yeah. yeah. as good as we think. Is it going to be a value? Of course. Like, it's going to be a bad deal for Wander. But also, you're locking in $182 million. You yeah, haven't gotten paid yet. Like, seriously, he hasn't reached arbitration yet. So many things can happen. Like, we, none of us want him to get hurt, but it's always, obviously, risk for everyone. And he's getting this guaranteed money. Like, totally get why he signed it. And of course for the Rays it makes ton of sense. Like you get your superstar shortstop for the next eleven years. He's got crazy high ceiling. He's already really good. Totally get the deal from both sides.
0: Yeah. And before we talk about the oh, you talked about it. Uh he's really good. He's still getting better. So I, I think this is gonna be an excellent deal for the Rays. It's an excellent deal for him. He gets to You know, this now allows a twenty one year old, you know, from not from this country to plant his feet and be okay and settle in and take care of his family, his family's family, whoever he marries, their families, he he is able to (laughs) live very comfortably in this world. And that, that is something that I think we're taking for granted a little bit when we have that conversation. Yeah. To me, the more predatory thing are the contracts when they offer them fresh out of arbitration or fresh in the offseason, and the player declines it. So they send them down. I think that is more of something that baseball needs to get rid of. That's my only yeah. thing. I, I do not, I hate those contracts and like teams try to get slick with that. And the Cubs did that with Chris Bryant, and Bryant. They Failed yeah, because that. they needed to trade him. And then the Mariners did it with Jared Kalanick and they sent him down for two weeks and, those deals, those are the ones where I just don't think it makes sense. Like, the Ozzy Albies deals, obviously, that's a heist. You don't need to – those. De- that deal is a heist. I, I don't like deals where it has, like, four – like, three or four, like, team options at the end where the team can just, like, tack a year on at the end. I understand why some of these teams try to push for those extra years of control, but I'm just not a fan of that. Like, the Rays used to do that. Like, I think the James Shield one. Contract is like one of the more infamous ones where it was like he signed an excellent contract and then you tack on three more options to make him like almost one of the best values in baseball. And they essentially got the number one prospect in baseball for him and Will Myers at the time. Um, But yeah, I think Wander signed an excellent deal. I do understand what people were saying. I don't think it happened in this scenario, but I do think it happens in other facets of baseball.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: So before we wrap up, Phil, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything we missed that you think we should hit on?
1: Uh, no, I think we covered everything pretty well. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so
0: I will let you go. Before we do that, where can the people find you, Phil?
1: Advanced stats 23 on Twitter. Where can they find you, Quentin?
0: I'm at Haynes underscore Uno. Don't follow me. i I'm, I'm terrible. Uh, But for that, (laughs) we guys are going to let you go. Thank you, Phil, for joining me. Peace, everybody.
1: Peace.